Good morning, everybody. I think this is our seventh um, volume of the Global Food Policy Report. I have seen many of you who have been very consistent coming to every one of the uh, launches. I, I want to thank you for doing that. So, yes, again, we'll review the progress, challenges, and uncertainties in 2017 and 2018 related to global food policy. We have made progress. Uh, for example, economy. Economy actually has been pretty strong for the last four or five years, but the inequality has increased. And the global hunger is increasing because of conflicts, migration, refugee crisis. The food production is very strong in 2017. As a result, the food prices have come down. Good news or bad news? Good news for, producers, uh, for consumers and bad news for certain producers. And most important is the rising anti-globalization. It's called sentiment or even movement. I would call it a movement in many, many parts of the world. It has been a movement for some time. So what does that mean to our global food system? So it is global integration versus anti-globalism. What is the impact on our global food system in the future? So how global or anti-globalization would affect our global food system? What have been the rapid changes in the areas of, let's say, trade, investment, migration, knowledge sharing, data restrictions, and beyond. So the Global Food Policy Report 2018 focus, focuses on several areas. One is the trade, trade protectionisms. The second is the investment. We have seen the restrictions of investment across the borders or even within the country. Then the borders have become tightened with anti-migration. Knowledge and the data. So the flow of knowledge and data is so critical, not just for a research institute like IPRI. I think it's for everybody in the world who are working on, on research, it's on knowledge dissemination, to use science, technology to promote economy and the whole um, let's just societal movement or progress. And stored farm policy reforms. So, yeah, we have made tremendous progress in OECD, in OECD countries in reforming its policy. But I'm afraid as part of the anti-globalization sentiment, some of the protectionist policy may come back again. And emerging economies, the subsidies or some of the support have distorted the production not only in their countries, but also the global market. With governance, yes, we have been struggling with the governance for many years. How are we going to deal with that under the threat of anti-globalization? Trade. Free trade is very critical. I must say that we have benefited tremendously from free trade. Because of the trade, so we, we have had more production. We have increased productivity. Because of the trade, now we have access to more diverse foods. As in Sweden, you know, you can consume tropical fruits from Thailand, from Vietnam, or certain fish from other different parts of the world. Or in tropical areas, let's say in Florida, you could also consume some of the foods from northern parts of the planet. And reduce natural resource use and environmental impact. Look at the chart on the right side. China every year actually imports 200 billion cubic meters of water huge 
and the U.S. exports almost same amount of water to China. And actually, Brazil probably is the largest export of water <laughs> to China through the trade, the virtual, we call the virtual water trade. Another question is, how can we really design or target policy in human capital resource management and education to address trade-related challenges and externalities? So trade is good, but trade to accompany trade, there are some of the externalities. How can we make sure that some of the poor and hungry people will benefit from trade. Investment. Investment is very critical. So the international investment can bring technologies, can bring the market, can bring the know-how, and bring the infrastructure to promote local food production. <coughs> Look at the right-hand chart. You will see that even the foreign investors invest almost two-thirds of their agriculture investment in food, so promote more food production. And uh, now again, the question is, how can we really make sure that some of the vulnerable population, smallholders, women, or youth can benefit from that investment through all kinds of arrangements, whether it's what, contracting, whether through, let's say, association or outgrowth schemes. So that's a question we, want, we wanted to address. Now migration, we have seen so many rhetorics in Europe and here, in many parts of the world, to stop migration. Don't forget, our human history is a migration history. You know, here in the U.S., right, it's, uh, it's all migrant from different parts of the world. Even in my own country, China, you know, over the last 5,000 years, it's migration. That created the history, Chinese history, whether, you know, wars or whether it's battles, whether it's floods, droughts, it's a migration. So migration helped not only the migrants who, you know, who can really improve their, their, their food and nutrition security, but also their whole families, not only hosting countries, but also the, the source countries or, or the uh, origin, originating countries. So, and right now, we do see a lots of a, sort of a conflict-related refugee crisis. Let's make sure that on the one hand, these people must be protected, must have access to food. On the other hand, when these people move to hosting countries, they need, they need support, they need um, also investment to make sure that they can contrib contribute positively to the societies. And our evidence shows that they can do that if you have the right policy, right tools that can provide it to them. Now, the final sort of message, the, the, uh, the high-need areas, improve seasonal migration mechanism and innovative financial products to facilitate migration. You might remember during the Green Revolution era in India, the migrants from Bihar, from Orissa, this eastern part of India, to the Green Revolution, uh, let's say, belt, like Punjab, Haryana, that really helped to improve food and nutrition security of these migrants, but also helped to improve the product, production productivity of the Punjab, Haryana. And today in Bangladesh, sort of seasonal, lean season, you know, the, just before the harvesting, but in the meantime, the food has already been finished from the previous season. That lean season is so critical for many, many families, particularly children, to access to nutritious and healthy food. So certain social protection, certain <coughs> programs can help them, these migrants. Now, open access to knowledge and the data. I mean, here I think we know that, uh, how important uh, to access to knowledge and the data. And it's so critical 
to access to that data in order to make the right decision. And open data can also help to increase accountability. You know, if you don't have the data, if you don't have the right data, how can we make sure that decision makers, whether it's government officials or researchers, are accountable on what they are doing? And data quality and ease of use are essential for open access to succeed. So we want to make sure that data quality is very critical. Again, look at the right-hand side of the chart. You will see if we begin to open the data to the whole world, anybody can access to our household survey data. Bangladesh, Ethiopia, look at that chart. Tremendous increase of access to our data. And I will continue to do that. Despite all this sort of anti this and that, IPRI is very much committed to share the data, open the data to everybody. But I think finally, the empowering the people, the people actually, where you generate the data from, is so critical. We have heard lots of, well, rumors, or actually not rumors, the facts, right? How our privacy has been sort of violated. So how can we make sure that we can empower the people to make sure that their privacy is protected? In the meantime, the data is open, is accessible by everybody. Domestic farm policy. I must say that OECD countries, including US, have made a tremendous progress in reforming its domestic policy by dislink or decouple the subsidies from production. But under the current anti-globalization sentiment, I'm afraid some of the support subsidies probably will come back. For example, the tariffs. Now, the US uh, will impose tariffs on steel and aluminum. As a result, Europeans, maybe Chinese, will also begin to impose tariffs. And many of them will be on agriculture products, soybeans or pig meat and so on. So this is news, news propositions. How can we really make sure that domestic farm policy uh, it's, will not be part of the anti-globalization <laughs> movement? And then sometimes you know, reforming your own domestic policy. You don't need to have global sort of arrangements. Just for your own good, for, for your own sake, reforming your policy actually can contribute to your own economy, your own food and nutrition security. And the global governance reform. I mean, this has been a struggle <coughs> for some time. Who is really accountable at the global level to every citizens we have in the world? Can we create a similar governance structure called IPCC, intergovernmental uh, platform or panel on climate change? Can we create an intergovernmental platform for food, agriculture, and nutrition, science-based, you know, instead of rhetorics. Uh, and addressing radical changes, anti-globalization is only part of the radical changes, but obviously one of the most important ones. And uh, <coughs> how can we address them to make sure that we continue to make progress to improve everybody's food and nutrition security? One is to encourage an open, efficient, and a fair trading system. Fair is also very critical. Let's continue to do that. And support rural development to break the virtuous cycle of conflict, food insecurity, and migration, particularly, let's say, in Nigeria, Nigeria, Somalia, um, Yemen, uh, and, uh, and beyond. And then invest more in research and innovation for food system. Again, we have seen the same thing in this room, in our old building, every year, all the time. But I think important things need to be 
repeated. So let's, let's make sure that we'll continue to do that. And enhance evidence-based policymaking, data, information, the research um, from the report like that will be so critical in making the right decision. And promote cooperation and mutual learning, leverage new opportunities in emerging technologies and knowledge sharing. And yesterday I shared, it's called Impossible Burgers with my senior management teams. What? To many surprise, they really liked it. Well, some obviously didn't. If a vegetarian said no, it sounds like too much like meat. So you can see they really have done a good job. So how can we embrace all these new technologies, new trends, to address some of the anti-globalization sentiments, all these radical changes is everybody's responsibility, including everybody in the room. Thank you very much.